There's another side to good health, and that's good mental health. Drew, it's nice to meet you, man. Yeah. Like I kind of know you anyway from socials. Yeah, great to meet both of you officially. That's the one great thing about about uh, social media is you can you can form all of these parasocial relationships with people you've never met before. Um, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But yeah, in this case, good, of course. Yeah, that's how it all begun, right? For the three of us, yeah. We just we met online, formed some degree of relationship, and then we hugged for the first time and it popped off. I catfished these two into joining the podcast. <laughs> I was going to ask, was anyone, who was the catfish in the group? It was me. That's a really good question. Yeah, it was definitely Drew. Yeah. yeah. Definitely Drew. Yeah, yeah. It was okay. me. Drew, you were way more energetic in person than I thought you were going to be. Really? Okay. Is that good or bad? No, it's great. I okay. think it's excellent. I, I'm, I'm a pretty squirrely person, so that... that <laughs> squirrely. James, did you and Andy meet in person or did you meet... In in the flesh, yeah, we met in the flesh, right? Going going back a few years now. Um, I'd started working at Atlantic Records maybe a year before Andy rocked up, and I think everyone knew at the moment he ro- he rocked up because Andy's like six foot five and has quite a big presence about him. Oh, and shit. Also, my old boss had a crush on him. It's just funny, um, but yeah. So we met in person and just we're working. Completely different parts of Atlantic. Um, I was in AR, Andy was you know, creative design. Didn't really cross paths that much day to day, but when we did, quickly started talking about golf, I think, and surfing and the good and the bad and the ugly of working in the music industry as well. Like, yeah, we were quite real in talking yeah. about that with each other. Yeah, we had our own therapy thing going on now, like long before golf. <laughs> what were the pain points of the music industry that? brought you together it's a wild wild world you know on some levels speaking so specifically about a and r the cliches are definitely true i don't know if you guys have ever read the book kill your friends that was made into a movie but the book is just is not then and to a large extent it yeah there's an element of truth to it i think it's just so counter to like what we're doing now like to be honest and what we're about and what we want to represent and particularly in a major label you know, we were Atlantic, part of Warner, you know, one of the big three, Warner, Sony, Universal, you're just chasing hits all the time. And even if you bring in something um, that you're super passionate about, you still got to sell it. You still got to convince everyone in the NR team. And yeah, the commercial uh, appeal, the commercial value has got to be the big bosses. They've got to smell it from day one. You know what I mean? <laughs> We had some kind of copy and paste definition of sociopaths, psychopaths as uh, working kind of above us, C-suite level for sure. Um, for context, Kill Your Friends is like a kind of a memoir of working in the music industry in the 90s and just all the mad shit that, that people got up to. And it's a very, very good account of how the record label really is, I think. But yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting time. It waves and rise, different labels have their different moments and the rosters are strong and they're not strong and you know, they're well positioned for a specific trend mm-hmm. of music at the time. And we were both working at Atlantic at a time where, you know, we were probably, at, you know, the top flight label. We had like, you know, Ed Sheeran was our kind of poster child and Stormzy was joining the label just as James and I were there slash right. leaving. And yeah, we kind of could do no wrong as a, as a label. So um, it was very fun to be in that environment and to be exposed to, huge creative campaigns and um big concepts with huge personalities and, and huge amounts of experience as well you know so that was a, a incredibly formative um but just absolute batshit some of the stuff that happened uh you know and some of the expectations on you but it's very relevant to like you guys and and what we're about as well that was when the conversations around artists well-being mental health was starting to come in and into their deals there was starting to be clauses provisions right, right. for taking care of that stuff which is just so behind the times to be honest but at least that those conversations are starting to happen but again that was even baffling really how it felt almost quite surface level you know it, it wasn't it was sort of like a lot of the the big bosses kind of covering uh themselves and uh, by by saying that mental yeah. health was important and i think my personal opinion is i'm sure the music industry still has a long way to go 
Yeah. Do you see any parallels there between how mental health in sport is handled versus how it was handled when you were in the music industry and how some of those changes have happened over the years? Interesting question. Yeah, really interesting question. My mind immediately goes to in sport, the the result, the performance, the outcome is so much more measurable. Okay, for an artist, right. you've got, right, is your music a success? Are you, is that because you're chasing chart hits? Is it albums? Is it boring live? Is it like whatever? You know, are you fully recouped yet on your deal? Like all of these things. But I think athletes, maybe they feel they have a better platform to speak out about this stuff now. I don't know, music, it, it, it's such a world that they're creating for the fan, sort of different really to, to, to athletes. And in that world, I would say now it probably works quite well. It's quite on brand to talk, to be open, to talk about mental health, but in the past, was it? Yeah, I don't think it was really discussed much at all. Um, like as an artist level, an artist relation level, from what I remember anyway, and you know, there was a few kind of major incidents when we were working at the label with uh, one band in particular, the lost one of the lead singers. And uh, only then really did they start to kind of put some you know, stops and checks in place, if you will, for uh, mental health and, you know, developing a kind of tiered system. But, you know, I was working on the design for that and what, and eventually I think it just petered out. You know, I didn't even see the, the project finishing. So I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure the conversation is much more developed now. Um, you know, a lot has happened in the last, uh, when did we work there, James? Four or five years ago. And same as sport as well. Obviously the conversation is just really, really at the top of public consciousness, especially it's very mentally taxing sport. So yeah, I imagine it's come on, come on a lot. Yeah. And, and so as you are experiencing some issues within the industry and the specific label that you're working at, you start talking about golf. How does that connective tissue ultimately lead to golf guru and this very specific very niche kind of mission one that we obviously align a, a ton with at group golf therapy but 100 where does that bud start to germinate it goes a long way back you know music and golf have always been big big things in in my life but they've always it's always weird in music you kind of feel like you need to hide golf that's what i always felt like you know, kind of that counter to, to whatever I happen to be doing, um, which now I just think is ridiculous that I ever felt that way. But talking to Andy, I don't know how we're not talking about, about the game, about golf, about my background in it. I think we were probably just trying to set up to go and play around, but neither of us had the time or the money at that point. We were trading tips for the masters. I think that's where it first started. And it was your it was sense. your tips. Yeah. And we both did really well out of that year, I remember. I think that's Patrick Reed. It, it was Patrick Reed. It yeah. was because I had him on and I was pretty I was pretty gutted that <laughs> he's one. It was bittersweet. But uh, that was that was a jump off point for sure. Yeah. And then after that we we had a pretty open discussion about it. It snowballed just as we were both leaving Atlantic, really. We'd both been discussing kind of meditating and how it'd been helping like deal with stressful situations at work. And I'd been at it for some time and James James was getting into it, you know, a little bit more recently. I had already left the, the company and James was on his way out. Yeah, we sat down to have a chat about doing some design work for this project that he was that he was cooking up that was somewhere in between kind of headspace and Bob Rotella and um, yeah, you know, the, the kind of conversation flowed from there. <laughs> I got my hands on some sample audio that James had been creating, gave a listen, sent it to some friends. And yeah, I was amazed A, by the quality that, that there was the quality of the production already. Um, obviously having a background in music, James was able to produce something super, super high quality studio, studio quality, um, straight away and yeah, just the, the actual content and the flow, the narrative of the content just made a lot of sense straight away. I sent it to some friends who are good golfers and, you know, they were, they were very, very interested in hearing more. So, you know, that was always a really good starting point, I think. Yeah. And the, the more we discussed it, the more I understood the kind of potential of the idea, not just to work within golf, but to also have an impact for people outside of golf. And, um, you know, for the product to have this like big adjacency and open an awareness for, um, golfers in their general lives, as well as actually helping them, helping them golf better. So that was really the kind of the real spark for me. The initial deal was I would help James get the, 
the concept to a certain point. From my background in design and and software development, I could I could kind of help him put together a janky MVP and take it to market and get some feedback and and that was really the kind of the deal was to to get him to that point and then to kind of have the option to say that okay we're separate ways here but um the more the project rolled on and feedback started coming in from people we did some kind of external tests with small type forms and, and facebook ads and sending it to facebook forums and stuff like that and the feedback was just insane you know and i was like ecstatic about this stuff straight away just saying like, this is insane james like we're getting incredible incredible qualitative feedback here from complete strangers who are willing to to test this for us and uh james just kind of like oh is, is it is it good i don't know this you know i don't know if yeah. the, the feedback is really worth the hype but um having been there myself before with other businesses just knowing how difficult it is to get somebody to take an action something new to then try something and to give you their honest feedback and to to spend time like filling out a form to say like this yeah. is awesome and you were that we're on to something really good and and that it was something worth appreciating yeah, so James, at, at sort of like a 30,000-foot view, can you explain what really that initial golf guru idea, concept was? Yeah, there was like a eureka moment. I just remember being on the driving range. I was getting back into the game of golf, right, while working through music. Uh, working yeah. in music, I didn't play a lot. You know, I didn't have the time, didn't have the money. Living in London, yeah, difficult times. So obviously, you know, you try to kind of, what's the phrase, get your feet under the desk or whatever it is. And I just stopped playing and I just thought, oh, that's cool. You know, I'll, I'll get back into it eventually. And like three, four years passed and I played a bit and I just sucked. And I was, I had the yips, you know, like imagine being like 25, 26 years old, having the yips and you're like, what is happening? Like, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> and is it, is it like anger? Is it frustration? What's the, what like emotions are going through your head? Cause at a, as a junior, you were quite successful. Well, definitely not as a junior. No, like I just played drums all the goddamn time and <laughs> golf was just a huge passion. Um, but I didn't take it seriously until I had a car. Like I just, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, which is great for making a lot of noise on the on the drums and not pissing anyone off, but terrible if you, if you need a lift to go and play golf. And yeah, as soon as I had a car, like I was free and, and started playing to a decent level. So yes, from, from that perspective, there was an expectation, you know, as I carried on playing golf, that I was going to be able to play the like plus one scratch. And it just really wasn't the case. And to answer your question, all sorts was going through my head. To be honest, all of the stuff that was going on in my life, you know, a lot of challenges at that time, like they would come out after you make a double, a triple after a certain type of shot at the end of a round. And it was just such a bad place to be at, you know, giving that mm. time up to go and play golf, to, to think you're going to get something from it. And actually it's really just taking something away. Yeah. I've reached that point of being like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, and did like have a good two, maybe closer to three years off, but I just, I just love the game too much. Eventually got to a place where I, yeah, I changed jobs. Um, I left Atlantic. I was consulting for Virgin EMI, now just EMI. And I started a bit more freedom, got back into the game. I was like, I'm going to fix this. Fast forward to that Eureka moment I'm talking about. I was then back on the range, you know, back on the grind, hitting balls on a cold, wet, dark, weeknight um at some driving range in london but just seeing people completely freak out you know like i still remember being sandwiched between these two guys one guy in his like 40s and he's got his daughter there and he's he's out loud like calling himself a c next tuesday let's call it that like wow. <laughs> after he hit the bad shot it's just kind of shocking obviously and it's so distracting for yeah like all the people there at busy range and Another thing was like, a, a, yeah, a guy on the other side of me, he's really a good player, but just kind of any shot he hits that's not perfect, there's a sort of stalky reaction. There's a bit of a like, this, you know, dejected response. And if he hits the perfect one, he does nothing. And I feel like you see that a lot. And I don't know where that comes from. I feel like it's a bit of a performance of people. It's not really about what they're working on. It's about what other people are seeing. But it just really hit me that like, 
it was still a huge problem that people weren't happy <laughs> while playing golf. You know, why are you there? Why would you put yourself through that to, to do that and, and sort of demonstrate that to your daughter as well? And it just, it just really confused me. And based on my background um, at university and what I study in sport psychology, kind of fast forwarding to that point, just realized that things really hadn't moved on and that maybe there was an angle there to help more people actually in those moments when you're practicing not just through like reading a book and that was the bones of the the idea really that i took to andy you know was this thing that could serve through like through guided audio sessions that was the idea a much more engaging way of learning these things that were going to help you to play better golf but obviously to enjoy it a lot more too and just kind of drag the mental game kicking and screaming like boards into the into the 21st century that's not dissing the amazing books that are out there, but it's just, you know, there's a disconnect between quite often your practice and what you're, what you're reading and then actually what you're going to go and do on the, on the course or when you practice. So I feel like that was it. That was just the bones of an idea that I took to Andy. And I think he just got it straight away and really epitomized like what it was supposed to all be about. It is funny. I think we, we all have had those moments on a driving range, on a communal driving range, yep. turning to one side or the other and seeing somebody losing their fucking mind on the driving range after yeah. getting repeated bad shot after bad shot after bad shot, your heart breaks for them to a certain extent because you're like, well, I know exactly what it's like to hit, uh, hit a couple shanks in a row or something like that or, or duff a chip, but it's in this environment, as you were alluding to, this guy with his daughter where it's supposed to be about community and progress and, and safety to a degree, I guess, as well, and fun. Mm -hmm. You said you don't know where that comes from, but I'm curious to hear your guys, both of your opinions on this of like where that does come from, where that frustration and anger comes from specifically in a game like golf feels so acute in golf relative to other sports that just drives people insane. Such a good question. I think golf from perhaps day one that you get brought into the sport, um, probably less though if you start as a junior than as an adult, but I think you feel like you're in the spotlight really really intensely at certain moments and if you're not careful that can become the norm you always kind of feel like you're being watched judged am i doing this right you know you're on edge and i think that that can end up being the, the, the people who golf end up and ends up becoming quite a big part of their identity you know perhaps because they're a very good player mm. they even hitting balls on the driving range care really about what other people think about them and it's a bit of a performance so that's kind of where i see it coming from i don't know does that make sense do you guys agree i agree i agree wholeheartedly with everything that man said <laughs> well that's true. I, I think uh the, <laughs> we've talked about this on the show in the past where as a golfer you think you think about you're always thinking about what other people are thinking about you but no one's actually thinking about you everyone's thinking about themselves on the golf course or on the driving range uh but that awareness in the back of your mind of everyone's watching me. No one's watching you. Like they're, they're just thinking about their own shit. So, but that you can't help, but think about that when you're playing golf at the range, playing with the new foursome that everyone's thinking about your swing when in actuality, they probably aren't. You know, do you, do you think if you're playing in a four ball, I don't know, or yeah. even just with like a mate versus playing on your own, if you hit a really bad shot right Do, would you ever throw a club on your own would you ever slam it into the ground would you ever go like what the, you know you wouldn't display the same level of disgust so it has something to do with the audience with the other person there and that says it's not like you're much more in control of it than you realize but for some reason, again, with other eyeballs on you, you feel like you need to behave in a different way in golf. And I find that so perplexing that I really think that the secret is not to give so much of a shit. And, um, okay, that might sound sort of easier <laughs> said than done, but I actually don't think it is. People really, really go hard on themselves in golf, but I, and I really just don't think that they should. You know, there's some quite simple ways to do that if you want to go down the path, which I think we all do. <laughs> I, have a, I have a small yeah. tidbit on this. We ought to be chilling with that. Um, I, I, re I had a conversation with a, a close friend about this recently. When I started playing golf with my high school buddies, we were all bad. So we had a lot of bad shots. And 
these were, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old kids who just started driving and like just got out of the house and like, were like, I'm going to express every emotion that I can feel right now and take it out on the golf course, whether it's good as bad, whatever. So when bad shots would happen, they would throw a club or say some like profane, horrible, disgusting thing about themselves or about their friend. And I mirrored all of that just because that was the environment I was in. And it stayed with me through college and my college experience was terrible because I, I, I kind of brought that with me and, and put that pressure on myself amongst the other pressures I was already experiencing being the only black person on my college team. But when I moved away when I moved to LA and started experiencing golf in a different way, it was hard to get that out of my system. Like my first few rounds with like my, my, my close golf circle that I have now, my first few rounds, I was still displaying that kind of behavior because that was just what I associated with golf. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you hit a bad shot. You call yourself a mm-hmm. four letter word. You know what I mean? Like that was just, that was just what I associated mm-hmm. with the sport. And it, it's taken me the last, you know, five, six years to root that out of myself. It's a hard thing to unlearn. Yeah. It's a really hard thing to unlearn. So, I, and I don't know that that comes with maybe it does come with other other kinds of sports or activities, but I find that really unique to golf. Like, probably the most self deprecating of the <laughs> recreational sports by a mile. <laughs> no, for sure, it's just not enough love on the range. There's yeah. just not enough yeah. love on the range. Definitely not. There's not others, no. you know. That's just what it comes down to is. Not enough people loving themselves on the range, not enough kindness to yourself, and uh, not enough acceptance of uh, what's happening as well. You know, obviously the comparative aspect of golf is is like built in; it's always going to be there. And I think it's worse, especially if you're a younger player and you're a good player, because you're not only comparing yourself to others all the time, you're also comparing yourself to to what you might have been if you're uh, no longer at that level, and and um. Yeah, it can be it can be crushing mentally to be there and to not be um, not be performing to the standard that you expect of yourself. You know, the self expectance which is there, which is just so crazy, and it's quite unique to golf. I think there's a couple of other sports that are similar profile. I think, but, you know, well, you you know, you hit bad. a you hit a bad shot in golf, like it's right there for you for the next two three minutes <laughs> to dwell on, to think about. So many other sports, like open sports, you know, you're moving. Maybe you've got to move on quickly after that mistake. You know, even if you are mentally all over the place, like there's a, you've got to respond. Yeah. And yet golf's like, you've got to live with that. And as much as actually the things that you can do to help yourself are extremely simple. It's like, for some reason, you're just not present. You know, whatever it is hits you, that wave of anger or like you feel crushed or you feel embarrassed or whatever and you're just not present like you're so consumed by that 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 it takes a bit of time to learn again the various things that you can do that are all quite simple um to just get over it you know and and kind of come back to a place of harmony or like gratitude or happiness or whatever like it is hard to do but like once you're there it sounds like you are from now like it's a great place to be playing the game from it gives you a lot more i think and uh, as a result and playing with these guys helps too you know we all laugh at ourselves at this point <laughs> we don't we don't take it too seriously right it takes laughing yourself and not taking yourself too seriously yes we would all like to improve our scores and get better and i think what you said earlier james about golf being so objectively tangible the success the results of golf are so tangible it's how many strokes did it take you to get the ball into the hole that's like so plain and simple therefore it becomes inherently narcissistic and solipsistic and all of those just put the spotlight on yourself but bradford what you were saying i think is is super valid as well much like any other activity or sport golfers in particular i think 
are tape recorders and you you play back a lot of the terms that you've heard a lot of the expressions that you've heard over your over the course of your uh indoctrination with it and in addition to some mindfulness i think there needs to be some group eradication of language and behaviors and expressions that we see in here on the golf course and that covers everything from sexism to racism to self-admonishment to fill in the blank when i when i'm playing with somebody and i hear them say something bad of themselves i try to take it on myself to talk them up a little bit and say like you shouldn't call yourself that because you blocked your eight iron five yards of its intended target that's a ridiculous way to handle yourself and and speak to yourself over a a mistake and b one degree offline the result of this should not warrant you calling yourself one of the worst words imaginable in the english language so i think yes like in in addition to the value propositions that 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 golf guru provides people with learning mindfulness and and learning calm and and all these things. It also takes, I think, some cultural recognition and upending language systems that exist on the golf course too. Yeah, there is, like you said, kind of the start. There's an obsession with with outcome, with the distance that you hit the ball, the you know the amount of birdies you make. Like like at all levels of the game, really, you're chasing something, you're craving something, right? And what's the phrase craving is like the source of all suffering or something. And well, yeah, but also it masks itself as passion, but also the origin of like the word passion is pain anyway. So it's a painful pursuit getting better. Like it's going to be, you know, um, keeping it on the healthiest side is really, really, really tough. Yeah. And again, I suppose this speaks really to like what, what you guys, what they're saying around self talk the way that you talk to yourself. Is more often than not a disgrace, you know, <laughs> on the golf course in particular, and so many golfers do it out loud as well. Now, do we think that all golfers should be going around like robots, being like, you know, oh, regurgitating the same stuff and and never feeling, you know, certain things and feeling frustration, and feeling doubt? No, but our real belief is that if those things are blocking you from enjoying the game as much as you kind of know that you should be then like let's change some behaviors and and you will just get so much from this game like mm-hmm. it, it's there for the taking if you're open to receiving it you know what i mean like and that's really what we're trying to do is is to help people to, to just be on the golf course more often than not in a frame of mind which means that they're more in control of what they're getting from the game rather than the game just being like yeah take this <laughs> Here's a shit bounce. Here's a terrible lie. Is a it, like what I don't want to, you know, as Andy touched on earlier, is you can do that with people, particularly I would say like men of a certain age, a certain generation who maybe been very closed off to helping themselves, really. Golf can actually be the vehicle mm, yeah. to discovering some of these things, you know, to actually thinking about your breathing, to the idea of acceptance, to a gratitude, hope, joy, optimism, like. I can give you the whole age of 10. I think that's why we're so excited about it. We've seen the the adjacency it has from people having better relationships with their kids and their husbands and wives and better work recovery scores, you know, as as much as it is like, cool, you're now playing off six when you were playing <laughs> off 16, you know, six months ago. Like, and I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, right? You guys know all this stuff. So. It's called work for a reason. You have to keep doing it it's or it's called practice for a reason frankly you have to keep at it living in new york city has taught me one thing mobility is everything i need to be flexible i need to be stretchy i'm already a quite a a bendy guy like I'll, i'll i'll bust out some some high kicks some downward dogs some crow poses no matter where i am doesn't matter if I'm on the street, waiting for the subway, at Central Park, in my apartment. I need to be ready to move at a moment's notice. And with Roan, I know I had that locked down. The clothes are comfortable. The commuter shirt is breathable. It's flexible. It's got that four-way stretch. I feel buoyant. I feel light on my feet. The commuter collection from Roan can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. So if you head to roan.com GGT, and use promo code GGT, you will save 20% off your entire order. 
That's 20% off your entire order when you head to Roan. That's R-H-O-N-E dot com slash G-G-T and use code G-G-T. Listen to this. What you got there? These are the new uh, Red Rooster Rain Gloves. Have you guys played with these yet? No, but I have a round tomorrow that those will greatly benefit me in because LA is experiencing... <laughs> the the skies have fallen. It's famously sopping wet in LA right now, so you're going to take advantage of that. I played with these rain gloves for the first time last week, and I'll tell you what. Not only do they look amazing, they have little red roosters printed on the uh, palm and fingies of the gloves. You look like a, a college wide receiver. Um, yes. But they're also incredibly tacky in a good way, not like the little kid from School of Rock. Like the, you, they, they grip your clubs so nicely in the moisture. And uh, I just feel I feel whole. I feel like I'm back in Portland, Oregon when I put these things on. And, and you know, I can swing out of my flipping shoes, which you both know I love to do. That's true. If you go to redroostergolf.com and use code GGT20, that's GGT20 at redroostergolf.com, you get 20% off your first order. So uh, cock-a-doodle-doo. Two Boilermakers, please. What are some of your golf core memories? The moments that you look back on, the visuals, that the settings that like pop to the forefront of your mind as a reason that you are in love with the game the way that you are. For me, walking the East Course at Dalmoy in Scotland with my dad's very gray, very wet, always, you know, wearing two of his golf clubs on my hands because I'm fucking freezing. And uh, you know, hitting shots occasionally whenever I whenever I can or wherever wherever I'm allowed. Yeah, walking the course with him is uh you know where I really started to understand and appreciate the game, I think. The other I would say a nine hole, like a kid's nine hole course, um or kind of crossing the west links at North Berwick. Yeah, just going down there in the evening. I can take a train from Edinburgh, go down there and just play around that pretty much consistently all summer. And um yeah, and that's uh that's that's kind of where we would where we'd spend most of our time. Um there was also a kind of cart path that went through the middle of the first fairway. And we used to um wait for people to drive their ball into the ditch of the path and run over and replace their ball with like a joke shop uh, chalk ball. Um, that obviously when they hit their ball would, would explode. And uh, there was only like, this This only happened like once or twice in the whole summer uh, when like when, it, when the conditions were perfect, you know. But I think like one or two people realized that it wasn't their ball. But the dudes that didn't realize that it was their ball, they were just... They take a full swing of this thing, and the ball would just explode. And their faces were. How, how many? How many of them did you keep in your bag, just in case? Um, like, how many did you carry around with you at any given time? Yeah, the joke shop was pretty well stocked. Um, we kept them in business all summer, I think. Yeah. We had like, we had we had we had two in the bag, I think, all the times. But we it really only worked like once or twice, you know. Then we got the full effect of like big plume of white smoke, but that was. That was a pretty good memory as well. And then getting chased, chased, chased off the golf course afterwards. I've always wondered who the hell yep. is getting those like fake joke golf balls and, and actually chasing them. And now I know. <laughs> I, that, that's I've me. never heard that it's story. Andy. It's Andy. still Andy. <laughs> um, mine is not dissimilar. Like it's, um, it's a Lynx course down in, in Cornwall. If you guys know where that is, like right in the, the, deep dark southwest of england on the coast there's this it's it's actually england's most southerly course and it's called mullion it's this beautiful fun short um links course up on the cliffs you know they deliberately keep all the rough cut back it's just quirky it's it's honestly it's probably my favorite place on earth for the kind of memories of just you know, mm. running around there, my dad would sneak like a couple of uh, mini clubs into his golf bag and I'd just kind of run around there when I was really little. But then even, you know, now when I go back there and play that golf course, you know, sometimes the light first thing in the morning or like, you know, the last hour of the day are just unreal. There's this church overlooking it, like called Church Cove, this beach, like it's just, it's incredible. 
um and it's fun you know and it's five thousand eight hundred yard like it you know it doesn't need to be long and you know sometimes you go to certain courses and you get a bit of a vibe like a bit of frosty welcome or you have a run in with a member or two over a certain situation blast it over into the opposite mm. fairway and they're kind of a bit like hand on hips or you've got to play a shot there's none of that here you know they're like they just love it i don't know great place hidden gem for sure man the three of us have to get over to the uk come to portugal i, so I will go quickly. here there and everywhere portugal portugal as well we had fun last summer. Uh, James and I had had the pleasure last summer coming back to write the early early part of this conversation. I just remember you guys talking about like meeting each other for the first time versus you know the persona online and sort of like have it. And it was just so funny meeting you. It was just like it was just such a good day. It's just you were hitting my driver, weren't you? Just uh, actually, did you borrow all of? Yeah, I got a full bag. I didn't have my clubs over there. And um, yeah, I think you gave me a full bag of clubs. Yeah, that I was, switched that was a wonderful, wonderful day. Nike blades, which... With Charles, yeah. It's highly likely that they're fake. <laughs> um, but you know what? They're so much fun. And um, <laughs> yeah, you absolutely it. shredded it. Like, I got so many videos of you just hitting dog everywhere and just picking up the tiki, like, instantly. It was fun. We closed them out. It was a good match. We won. Yeah. <laughs> It was a good yeah. match. Yeah, that was fun. Well, um, we should hit some of our some of our meat and potatoes. James, we'll have you go first on this one. A GGT house favorite. What are some of your favorite golf smells? Oh yeah, I know. I've seen this one. Like, uh, yeah, I know. I know this question well. Um, for me, it's white spirit. Does that? I, does, I don't know if that comes up a lot, but it's the thing is, it's easy to say white spirit. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's a certain point where it matures on an old club. Or maybe just like in the back room of a pro shop or like a golf bag at the back of a cupboard Ooh. that's been forgotten about for a long time. And for some reason, it's just, it, it just hits me. Like a fine wine. Uh, it just hits the sweet spot. Like a tuning fork in my soul. It's just like. Oh, I love that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I'm stealing that. A tuning mm, fork ooh. in my soul. That's what right. spirit of a certain vintage. That is so beautiful. I'm not going to lay. I'm, that's. I think that's. Um, I think that's Herbert Warren Wind, actually. Shout out to the, that brother right there. Very, very <laughs> old school golf writer who probably passed away a long, long time ago. But I think that's one of his that I've stolen and rehashed, Thanks, to be honest. Herbie but, Hancock. Yeah, it's good. And that's what the wise spirit does to me. Andy, what about you? Uh, difficult to follow. Um, favorite golf smells. I think maybe the, the this the smell, the kind of like essence of walking into a pro shop in, in a foreign country, especially in Europe, they just kind of have that, you know, this like fresh final smell, very, um, you know, you're slightly on edge anyway, you're, you're definitely, your nose hairs are definitely prickling. And um, I don't know, something, something just, something slightly <laughs> different about being uh, in a foreign Clubhouse for a pro shop. That's like you're discovering it for the first reason. time. Like cooked food, maybe some cigars, like you said, vinyl, uh, uh, carpet, carpet, right? That's been who knows the last time it's been shampoo, stanky carpet. Maybe, maybe it's a time where the two of you are on the golf course together, maybe not. Uh, but I'd like a take from each one of you. What is the time on the golf course you've laughed the absolute hardest? I was going to say one of the candidates actually that I think you were there for, but it was when Chucky made his hole in one, but not hole in one uh, a few months ago. That was fun in one. Hilarious. We have this, this friend, uh, Charles, who you met, Connor, who made a, his first hole in one, he's claiming, but kind of second ball he hit on the past three, just to just be like, you know, Check a few things and it drops and there's a whole audience and they start celebrating and the guy on another tee starts screaming and running over and we're like no 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 they're like no 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 cancel yeah because there was a big like oh and then there was like a big oh like put it back yeah. in so but he was celebrating he was celebrating as if it was a hole I in think, one was he calling was well, he saying hole in one hole in one I think he turned around right and then kind of our reaction was a bit like oh like, hang on a minute, you know, <laughs> and it was just savage. Because if you think about it, if you haven't got one yet, uh, which I don't, but Provisional. that was brutal. And it was just, 
it could have been so perfect. I'll be honest, for me, though, the time I laughed the hardest was actually after I threw my putter up three um, in my kind of like petulant, <laughs> petulant younger <laughs> days. After I left school, like I was telling you, I started just taking golf way too seriously, I suppose, at that point, playing a lot. And the expectations went through the roof and this Scotty Cameron went into the air. And I think it's still up in that in that pine tree. We and tried to get end. it down, but... You know what? I just had to laugh at myself afterwards. Like, <laughs> not right in the moment, but I feel like every time it kind of went past that pine tree, so keep from crying. Yeah, there's so a beautiful Scotty, Scotty there, Garrett, Del Del Mar up there, man. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. So the the both of you two gentlemen are certified music musicsmen. You're playing in a uh, a pro am or some sort of tournament, Whoa. and you get a walk up <laughs> song for when you're announced oh. on the tee box. What is your James has his head in his hands? No, it's just so hard. Like, how much of the track is getting played? This is an important, an important variable to consider. Ooh, that's, that's a good your, question. Yeah, that is a really good follow up question. As much as you want, honestly. Yeah, okay. clip, clip the bit you want. But you know, it's like a TikTok song. Whatever part of the song you want, it'll, sure. that'll play. Yeah, Bro, it's like you... it's just the drum breakdown of "In the Air Tonight," Phil Collins. <laughs> <Right>. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, I feel like that's that leads on quite nicely. I have no shame in saying, maybe a tiny bit of shame actually, in saying that where my my straightaway went was. I feel like Connor, you're going to know this tune. I don't know about about you guys whether your taste for fist bands, but "Woman in Chains." just before the big yes. the huge, this huge drum moment comes in which i as it happens the drummer that they always had was this amazing french guy who played with like peter gabriel on all his big records but they actually commissioned phil collins just to do one drum fill in this song and it's huge so yeah i think that would be me it's big tune off its time going on the playlist how about you, Andy? I was going to like two tracks. I think probably to pick one, be like Luther Randross, Never Too Much, something along those Yo. lines. Just, love, just because the start, like this, the first, you know, like that first for three or four seconds, TikTok world, man, you have to get people hooked. And if they're not in, in the first <laughs> couple of seconds, you're right. That song is perfect. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. probably agree. I have... N- it, it might be my favorite song of all time. That song Dude, is perfect. I wow. Like it, it, it puts me whoa. in such a good mood. Mm. His voice, the, the melody, the, 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 the just sonically, like the tuning fork for my soul. That is what that <laughs> song is for me. That, seriously might be my favorite song of all time it like i've never heard a more perfect song mm, andy we just became right best now. friends bro <laughs> excellent mission complete get a grip yeah <laughs> get a grip <laughs> oh that just made me so happy get a grip those are two phenomenal answers um you had two songs though uh purely for the intro as well and this is very different, but my mind was going to um, Order of a Lonely Heart, yes. You know, just purely for the oh, kind cool. of like quirky intro. Do you, you know the song? Yes. Yes. <laughs> we got some <laughs> throwback picks. I love it. Connor knows every song. Connor, I, I'm a big believer in Batted Beats. Just a bit of a shout out. That I is true. For that. Oh, oh that's, hey. that's much appreciated. That's much appreciated. It's, it's, it's a joy. It's Positive a joy. Positive impact on the golf course, too. <laughs> Um, Cheers for Fears, uh, uh, a regular makes a regular appearance on yeah. on the Bandit Beats playlist available on Spotify. That's why I knew you would know what I was talking about yes. with that drunk bill. Yeah, yes. Andy, we'll start with you on this one. So, same tournament. You've you've had your walk up music. You've gone out. You've taken a few golf guru sessions, mindfulness sessions ahead of playing. So you're all calm. You're all calmed out. You you go in and you fucking deliver. Like you win so hard. They invite you back to the tournament the next year and host a champion's dinner in your honor. What is on the menu at your champion's dinner? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Are we going Scottish? Yeah, my mind is going... Yeah, I think you have to, right? You have to bring a bit of your kind of like... Bring a bit of your essence. Oh, you do. So I definitely... 
a piece of hag- a piece of haggis on the menu. Why not? Absolutely. Maybe haggis. <laughs> we have like haggis for stars. A little haggis bonbons. Are you familiar with a bonbon? Like a little dumpling. Yeah, like a little deep fried haggis like- uh, dumpling. Exactly. Ooh. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. Can I say one thing really quickly? Americans who refuse to eat haggis, fuck off. Because if you're willing to eat a hot dog, you should be able to eat haggis. It's the it's same true. thing. It's true. If you if you're willing to eat what? A glizzy, a hot dog, oh, yeah, a yeah, pork yeah. missile, oh, a tube yeah, steak. Yeah. It's the pork same missile. thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same exact thing. Or if you've ever had, you know, if if you if you like Japanese or Korean style ramen, you get pork belly. What are you yeah. talking about? It's yeah. the same yeah. thing. You're you're in the same ballpark. You're in the same ballpark. Yeah. And it's delicious. Absolutely. It is, it is Absolutely. delicious. It's delicious. Without a doubt. I think Americans um, get sticker shock when they hear the word haggis. They're like, hey, what is that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I would just go for the easiest thing, but very, 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 very tasty thing. Again, it, it links back to Cormorn for me. I was like gassing about earlier, obviously. Um, but we would go and fish. We would catch... Some years no mackerel, but other years like shit time maybe jumping in the boat, and it was just yeah those are the glory years. It would be mm. filleting mackerel, getting it into the pan within within the hour, <laughs> and you just fry it up with a shit ton <laughs> of butter and Dijon mustard, and it's called nutty brown, and that Ooh. is I don't I don't you have that with whatever you want. Um, it'll work. <laughs> there you go. Terrific. <laughs> It's dinner time here. Yeah, all I've got in the house right now is like toast and marmite. It's pretty bleak. You probably don't know what a marmite is. I've never had it, but well, why don't we why don't we end on this note on more of like a uh, on a mindfulness note, I guess. Mm-hmm. If either of you could play a round of golf with a younger version of yourselves, what do you think you would talk to that version of yourself about on the course? Not necessarily the advice or stories or anything like that but just what would conversation look like between current day andy current day james and the version of yourselves where you were just getting in into golf andy like the the age you were when you were walking around the course with your father and james when you were down in cornwall walking around great question yeah i think probably wear more thermals would be like the first thing i'd say you know like (laughs) Just like dress warmer, <laughs> just suit up. <laughs> just get the get the la- get the layers on, man. Get the layers on. You're not gonna survive yeah, eighteen holes ever. Suit up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I wish I could impart on my younger self the like the place that I find myself now with golf and my acceptance of what it is, what it is to me, my position within it. And my peace with that, actually, you know, there is no contrition. There's obviously contrition and, and pain and passion in, in, in continuing to improve and to try and uh, have some kind of betterment, but just not to have the, the grind that I felt all, uh, a lot when I was, when I was coming up. Because um, right? uh, you're ultimately just grinding against yourself, you know. And I'd also just uh, tell them to start surfing more faster sooner <laughs> serve more golf last day surf guru app coming soon to the app store surf guru. Yeah. yeah coming soon coming soon you know it's crazy the synergy actually between surfing and golfing <laughs> the mental challenges and um mm. again that was a big thing when we first met like andy talking about that from his his experience of surfing and just how like it just made so much sense like the patients you need to have and all these things. So that was that was super cool. But to answer your question, sorry. So for me, it would be um like don't change anything, but just buckle up. Like it's gonna get ugly for a while, but it'll be worth it. I think one of the things that I'm really pleased about with my golf is like I don't think that me and that kid who was messing around like with that different. Like I still think that it's there. Like I will hit the the shot that is just ridiculous, and if I don't pull it off, like it's going like oh well, next time, you know. And I, and I think sometimes golf gets more serious than that. 
Um, but I'm good at getting back to that. So I, if I was playing golf with the younger version of me, I'd just be like, yes, yeah, stick, like try and hit your three iron, like <laughs> to, to that front right pin, just do it and get it. Like I said earlier, getting the yips in my mid twenties, that obviously at the time I was like, this sucks, you know, <laughs> how am I ever going to get over this? But I think I would tell my younger self, then it'll be worth it. Because you'll realize so many things as a result of it. Um, how to help yourself and then how to ultimately like help other people who might be struggling with that stuff too. Mm. And why and where that comes from and, and what, and yeah. So it'd be keep going, like just keep doing this stuff and yeah, don't change so much. Love that. That's wonderful. Thank you for the time, both of you. I've obviously come to know each of you pretty well over mm -hmm. the last year or so. But it's always nice to, I think for the three of us, even if we have somebody who we know really well come onto the show and, and talk like this, you always learn more about where they come from or their perspective on golf or life or mental health or something like that. So it has been a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, it's been a meeting of minds. I feel like we're kind of uh, interweaving, you know, it's, it's been a long time coming. For sure. So it's cool. We also want to offer the the listeners something uh, for the for the app as well. I mean, oh, very cool! Uh, it feels feels right to to offer that up. Yeah, I mean, getting everyone listening or listeners onto the app for for a couple of months free trial. I think that'd be that'd be cool um, to really give it a go. Hell yeah! Um, so you can use the code GGT three uh, MF underscore three MF. We'll put it in the notes. Amazing! And uh, yeah, you can get on onto the app onto the app for free. What's the what's the MF stand for? Motherfuckers. That's <laughs> GT. <laughs> man, shout out to y'all, man. That's that's generous. Um, and, and I know our our community will 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 vibe with that. That's that's generous. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. No right. problem. Yeah, that's that's seriously. Thank cool. you for having us on, guys. I was gutted we didn't get to ask the same questions back. To be honest, but. Um, I really want to hear all your few answers, but I guess we'll just do that sometime. Let's run it back. We will indeed. Yeah, let's run it back that. for sure. Nice one, guys. Cool.